keeping you informed and inspired. We love God. We ought to be able to talk about Him. Getting you started on your day. With the latest in breaking news and information. From the Vatican to the White House and everything in between. It's serious. It's fun. It's your Catholic drive time. Now here's your host, Joe McClain. Praise be to Jesus Christ. And this is Adrian Fonseca, not Joe McClain. Because today is the Feast of the Assumption. Praise be to God. It is the Feast of the Assumption. Let us give some praise to Our Lady today. Make it to Holy Mass today. It is, in fact, a Holy Day of Obligation. So if you can make it to Holy Mass today, do your best to get to Mass. Give Our Lady the honor that she deserves. But because of that, today is, in fact, a day off for Joe, Rudy, and I. And so we have a special content for you today. We are going to play for you the sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer. I recorded a sermon of the great St. Vincent Ferrer where he talks about the assumption and what it is that we can learn from Our Lady about the active life but also the contemplative life. You're not going to want to miss it because that's going to be in lieu of our Saint of the Day, Gospel of the Day. It's going to be in lieu of some of the interviews. It's a great interview, or not interview, a sermon from the great and wonderful St. Vincent Ferrer, the Angel of the Apocalypse, Dominican Friar, Order of Preachers, amazing priest. So that's going to be coming up for you in just one second. And then afterwards, you're going to hear an amazing uh, talk from Father Elias Mary. He is with the, Mar- the Franciscans of the Immaculate, who is uh, he's an expert on the Blessed Virgin, and he is, in fact, a Franciscan. So we're going to start with some Dominican stuff and finish with some Franciscan stuff. Very ecumenical here on the Catholic Drive Time Show. I know Joe will be happy about that. So we will see you tomorrow morning with our live show. Until then, you'll hear me come in and out to send you to break and stuff. But other than that, it, the rest of it's going to be pre-recorded stuff from last week. I'll tune you in after God bless you, God love you, and we'll see you tomorrow live with our regularly scheduled programming. St. Vincent Ferrer on the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As they continued their journey, he entered a village where a woman whose name was Martha welcomed him. She had a sister named Mary, who sat beside the Lord at his feet, listening to him speak. Martha, burdened with much serving, came to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me by myself to do the serving? Tell her to help me. The Lord said to her in reply, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. There is need of only one thing. Mary has chosen the better part, and it will not be taken from her. Mary hath chosen the best part, Luke 10, just as the present feast in solemnity is of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And this feast is the end and the closure of the life of the Virgin Mary. So, therefore, it is to be spoken about her life. And we have not only intellectual speculations, but also moral instructions. But if in our other sermons we, take, we turn to the Virgin asking for grace... How much more now ought we return to to refer to her because we intend to preach about her, so that we might call forth devotion? Let us now salute the Virgin Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the theme is resumed. For a shorter explanation and introduction of the matter, it should be known that the human life of man or of woman has three parts, gradually rising. Namely, the first is good, 
the second is better, and the third is the best. The first part is the life of nature, and this is good temporarily. The second is the life of grace, and this is spiritually better. And the third is the life of glory, and this is celestial and the best. And because the Virgin Mary was not content that she would have a life of nature and grace, but also of glory. Therefore, about her, the theme says, Mary has chosen the greatest part. The first part of human life is called the life of nature, because as long as the soul is essentially joined to the body, this is good, because it is, in effect, a creature of God, because for every creature of God is good and nothing to be rejected, as it says in 1 Timothy 4.4. 4. The second life is the life of grace, and this is better. And it is through the union of grace of God with the soul. As long as the grace of God is with the creature, it illuminates his understanding. To believe truly inflames the will for loving sincerely. And it governs all the members of the body for functioning usefully. And of this, David says in Psalm 62, 4, For thy mercy is better than lives. Thee my lips shall praise. My lips here he begins the construction, for thy mercy is better, namely glory. Preventing or justifying, which is called here mercy, the reason is because there is not given merits of the creatures, but only the mercy of God. There are other graces following or cooperating, and they are acquired through one's own merits, but prevenient grace is not that kind. And so it is said, your mercy is better, i.e., prevenient grace or justifying. The third life is the best, and this is a life of glory. If it is asked why it is called the best, the response is because the first life of nature is lost by death. Also, the life of grace can be lost through mortal sin, but the life of glory not, because from the fact that the soul enters paradise, it is thus confined and confirmed that it is impeccable. Therefore, that life is the best. And so Paul says, For it is best that the heart be established with grace. Behold the three parts of the human life. The Virgin Mary has a life of corporeal nature, because according to some teachers, she lived 40 years. Epiphanius says that she lived 72. She had a life of spiritual grace above all other creatures. But she was not content with this. But daily she sought the life of glory. She desired to be with her son in the life of glory to which today she has been assumed. And of this life it is said the theme, the best part. She held on to a good life, she kept a better life, but she chose the best life. When you ask how is it the produced the proposed theme in today's gospel about the Virgin Mary, since it speaks only of the blessed Mary Magdalene and Martha, Therefore, the text seems impertinent and improper today. But I respond to the question, you shall see that all this material today will be in this gospel. I say that if you wish to receive the gospel today according to the literal understanding, it is not to our point. But if you choose to take it in an allegorical understanding according to which the church receives it today, there is no gospel more appropriate to the Virgin Mary in the whole Bible. Because the whole life of the Virgin is included in this gospel. For the Holy Gospel literally says three things of Holy Martha, namely about her active life. She says the other three things about Mary Magdalene, i.e. of the contemplative life. But according to the spiritual meaning, these six virtues touch the most glorious Virgin Mary.
the first that the gospel treats of blessed Martha and says that Jesus entered into a certain village and the woman Martha, by name, accepted him into her home. First act of work, the incarnation. First behold now the first work of the act of life, a blessed Martha about Christ, but allegorically. Behold the conception of the Son of God. Because the, that then Jesus entered the village of this rebellious world to subject it to, its, to himself. And this certain woman, Martha, that is the lady who is a lady and who is a greater lady than the Virgin Mary who received him. And who is a greater lady than the Virgin Mary who received him in her home, namely into her virginal womb? Three things should be noted. First, why this world is called a village. Second, that the woman received Christ. And third, in which house did she receive him? Of the first, it must be noted that this world is called a village because of the conditions and qualities of an impregnable village, which are seven. All these were in the village of this rebellious world. First, it is necessary that the village be on a high location, and so this world has been located high, especially through pride. And so David, pre-speaking of the dwelling of this village, says, The pride of them that hate thee ascendeth continually. Second, that it be in a well-walled circle. So the village of this world was walled with walls of earth because avarice needs only earth. Third, that it have a good moat. So the village of this world was circled about with a moat through lust. Because just as in a deep valley wickedness is congregated, so about the sin of lust many corruptions are gathered. On account of which, Augustine says, God, seeing such a quagmire of corruption in human nature, he almost, that is for a moment, thought about not becoming incarnate. Fourth, that it be well provided with supplies. So the village of the world was well provided through gluttony. Philippians 3.19, whose God is their belly. Fifth, that it be well located on a rocky, impregnable ridge, so the village of the world was well situated because it was therefore inaccessible through envy. Behold the high village, whence wisdom says, I have thought about all the labors of man, and I have considered his industries. Envy of their neighbors, Ecclesiastes 4. Six, that it be well ordered with weapons for defense, so the world is armed through anger. Seventh, that it is possessed by trustworthy people. But it was the opposite because they did not prefer to be moved by penitential and meritorious works. God, seeing the rebellion of this village, said, I must personally go to wage war. And on the day of the incarnation, Jesus entered into a certain village, the world. Of this village, Jesus allegorically says to his disciples, Go ye into the village, namely, by battling it with the full the fusillades of preaching that is over against you Matthew 21 2 and a certain woman Martha by name Martha means lady there is no lady of heaven and earth but the queen of angels the Virgin Mary who received him into her home namely into her virginal womb of this home the church sings the mansion of the modest breast becomes a shrine where God shall rest the pure and undefiled one conceived in her womb, the Son. When she said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord in Luke 1, she had, then she received him into her home. It is clear, therefore, how the first part of the gospel writes of the Virgin Mary. More later, note here, For the great excellence was of the Virgin Mary, 
because she received the Son of God into her home. This is like those who today receive communion, because just as he came into the virginal womb, so he becomes properly in the consecrated host. And we receive him most perfectly than the Virgin Mary. We receive him more perfectly than the Virgin Mary because she received him as mortal and vulnerable. And we receive him immortal and invulnerable. She only once, we however often. It is said here for the information of the people how someone should choose 10 or 12 principal feasts for receiving communion. So against those who do not receive and do not and do nor receive him, it is said, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, he gave them power to be made the sons of God to them that believe in his name. John 1, 11-12. Second active work, serving. The second work of the active life of the blessed Martha is shown when the evangelist says, But Martha was busy about much serving. For when Christ was in Martha's home, then Martha was unrestrainingly running through the house, ordering the handmaids and servants, give some bread and wine and for the rest for refreshment. She was so eager to serve the Lord. But someone might say, this has nothing to do about the Blessed Virgin. I reply, that's true, but not literally. But there is always much that is appropriate allegorically. Because just as the first work of Martha made for the Virgin with respect to the Incarnation, so the second work she does for the Virgin Mary with respect to her actions. For the Son of God, after she had given birth, it is said how the Virgin Mary, at the age of 15, gave birth to him, and she didn't have milk. And a woman who does not know man does not have milk. Oh, Joseph said to Mary, I shall go and find a woman to nurse the baby. But the Virgin Mary would have none of it. On bended knee, as the devout doctors report, praying, she said, Father and Almighty Lord, you have given me this son, you who provide in every way for the animals on earth, the fish in the sea, give me milk for your son. And unrestrainingly, God the Father sent milk for her from heaven. About this, we have the authority of the church, which sings, not knowing man, the virgin mother, painlessly give birth to the Savior of the ages. The Virgin alone nursed the King of Angels with breasts filled from heaven. See how she was busy about serving Christ? She also served Him in many other things. For you know how much mothers do things for their sons in clothing them, caring in other ways. Because she was not able to warm Him properly because of the cold, she laid Him in the manger that He might be warmed by the animals. Also by brushing His hair and washing Him when He was in exile in Ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain speaking. We're currently cruising at 39,000 feet. We'll turn that seatbelt sign off for you and let you move about the cabin. Looks like we're about two hours and ten minutes from landing. Plenty of time for you to pray for religious vocations. Wouldn't it be great if everyone prayed daily for vocations to the religious life? Why not start today? A friendly suggestion from Guadalupe Radio Network. Protestants often think that the difference in the Greek words for Peter's name, Petros, and the rock, Petra, in Matthew 16:18, is evidence against Peter being the first pope. But does this objection deal the death blow that Protestants think it does? Nope, and here's why. First, even in the Greek of the New Testament called Koine Greek, 
scholars recognize that there's no difference in meaning. In the IVP Bible background commentary, Craig Keener affirms that these two terms were cognate terms that were used interchangeably by this period. This view is supported by the fact that John tells us in John 1.42 that the Aramaic equivalent of Petros is Cephas, which means rock. So why the difference? Gender. Petros is masculine and Petra is feminine. It makes perfect sense that a feminine noun would not be used for a masculine name. I'm Carlo Broussard with the ready reason for Catholic Answers, Catholic.com. Earth the Savior of the ages. The Virgin alone nursed the King of Angels with breasts filled from heaven. See how she was busy about serving Christ? She also served him in many other things. For you know how much mothers do things for their sons in clothing them, caring in other ways. Because she was not able to warm him properly because of the cold, she laid him in the manger that he might be worn by the animals. Also by brushing his hair and washing him when he was in exile in Egypt, weaving and sewing, she provided for herself, her son, and for old Joseph. And when Christ went out to preach, the Virgin Mary followed his sermons. And when they were in a certain place, she prepared lunch for her son. See therefore Martha, the lady, busy about many services. So today the church sings in the person of the Virgin Mary, and in the holy dwelling place I have ministered before him. Sirach 24:14. Does it not seem to you a great excellent to receive Christ into your home and to minister to him? This grace you can have through a similar action, because when out of love and honor of Christ you receive the poor and persons of good life, you can say that you are receiving Christ into your home. And when you give and minister to the poor, you can say, I have ministered to Christ. And to give nothing to the poor is to give nothing to Christ. The third active is solicitous. The third work of the active life of Blessed Martha is shown when it is stated, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and worried about many things. The literal meaning, Blessed Martha was very solicitous of the service of Christ. It seemed to her that all from the house was had not been sufficient. So she was ordered about her servants, relatives, and friends. Allegorically, this is properly appropriate to the Virgin Mary because just as the first work of Martha for the Virgin Mary, for procreation and second for conservation, so this third in the Passion of Christ in which Martha the Lady was solicitous. Oh, who can express Mary's anxiety and turmoil when she had in the Passion of her Son? First, the Virgin Mary was solicitous of the salvation of the human race. But because she knew no other future way but through the ignominious death of her son, she was devastated by maternal compassion and was between two millstones. Then she thought that no one could be freed from the bonds of sin nor from the chains of the devil unless her son was bound by the Jews. Behold her emotional turmoil. Also, she knew that no man could escape that hard sentence of eternal damnation, which shall be given in the last judgment. Depart from me, you cursed. Matthew 21:41. Unless her son had tasted death, so she was disturbed. Third, she was also solicitous, lest anyone be spared or speared on the fork of hell. But because it could not happen unless first her son was suspended on the fork of a tree, so she was disturbed. She was solicitous because no one could be released from the company of the devil, but this could not happen unless first her son was associated with robbers, and so her turmoil. 
fifth, and she was solicitous that men exiled from heavenly paradise could enter there. See her disturbed spirit because it could not happen unless her son would be raised up from Jerusalem. Six, also she was solicitous that men would have the crown of glory. Behold her turmoil because her son first had to be crowned with thorns. Seventh, finally, she was solicitous because men could not have eternal life. Behold her turmoil. In order for them to have it, her son had to die. It is then clear why it is said, Martha, Martha, lady, lady, you are solicitous. We have already heard of the solicitude and turmoil of the Virgin Mary. In the same way, we should imitate her, which happens through repentance in which a man has solicitude and turmoil. Solicitude because through repentance eternal glory is acquired. But turmoil when from fasting or hair shirts, the head or the stomach aches. Also solicitude in the discipline of other penitential acts by which one evades the disciplines and punishments of hell. But disturbance follows when one perceives wounds in the body. Now all the chastisements for the present indeed seemeth not to bring with it joy but sorrow, but afterwards it will yield to them that are exercised by it. The most peaceable fruit of justice. Hebrews 12.11 Chastisement stands for all penitential actions. It is clear here the whole active life of the Virgin Mary. Now, let us examine the contemplative life of the Virgin Mary when she has been, when she had been most perfectly and is indicated through Mary Magdalene, about which the gospel today says three things. First, contemplative lives, listening. First, Mary sitting at the foot of the cross, or sitting at the foot of the Lord, was listening to his word. Behold the contemplative life. Now we see whether this pertains to the Virgin Mary. It is said here how the Virgin Mary knew that Jesus, her son, from the instant of his conception, had such understanding of the kind which he has now entered in heaven. And this is the general teaching of all the doctors in theology. Think therefore when Christ was six or seven years old, how the Virgin Mary would make him sit in a chair at some outstanding teachers, especially devoted to the Blessed Virgin Mary, would say, and would seat herself at his feet. You believe that Christ would not would say to hear that she should sit next to him? But she, out of humility, wouldn't do it. Finally, she said to him, My son, tell me something. He replied, Mother, I would be happy to. What do you want me to say to you? And the virgin said, My son, I desire to know the glory of the blessed souls. How shall they be after your ascension? Whether they will be at your right hand in heaven or at your left, also whether they will be below the angels or above. And Jesus replied, My mother shall neither it be, neither shall it be, nor the other. But for all there will be one congregation, because then there will be one flock and one shepherd. It is stated that Christ told the virgin that there will be nine orders or nine streets, according to John's Apocalypse chapter 16. The first street ascending is of the angels, and in this order are gathered the repentant sinners who from their sins through works of penance. The second order is that of the archangels, whose prince is Gabriel, he, my mother, who announced to your my, your, my incarnations, 
and in this will dwell the merciful and devout persons. Oh, the Virgin Mary said, how in a good place are born those who show mercy. The third street is that of the principalities. And so of the other, look in the sermon of all saints, which begins your reward. The second contemplative work is reflection. The second work of the contemplative life of Magdalene is when Martha was solicitous of the service to Christ. Martha said to her sister, help me. And Magdalene gave her a deaf ear. And so, and so she complained to Christ, not out of impatience, but, says the commentary, that Martha saw that all the help in the house was not sufficient to serve Christ. But Blessed Magdalene rejected that active works. But Blessed Magdalene rejected that active work so that she would have time for contemplation. So the Virgin Mary in the ascension of Christ, when she saw her son being raised from the earth, and she perceived the souls of the saints, she asked her son that she could ascend with him. And Christ said to her, My mother, you for a short time shall take my place and shall console my brother apostles. And in doubts, they can come to you. From that day, the life of the Blessed Virgin was contemplative in God in this way. For every day she was visiting the holy places, first to Nazareth in the room where the Son of God was conceived, thinking how the angel had greeted her and contemplating those events, she wept. Next she went to Bethlehem, where he was born, where the kings of the Orient had come. Then to the temple, where after forty days she presented him. Next to the place of the baptism. Then to the desert, where he fasted. Then to the place of his passion and burial. She lived twelve years for the ascension, according to others, and that each day she visited such a place. There is an objection here against the idea of the visitations, because Blessed Ambrose says that the Blessed Mary was not a vagabond, nor did she go about in public, but at home, quietly. She loved to be by herself. This he says in his book on virgins. How, therefore, does the history say that she visited these places? A good reconciliation is this, keeping both. This visiting happened every day, as the history says, but it was spiritual and contemplative, and she did not leave her home, as Ambrose says. She traveled in spirit. Oh, blessed pilgrimage without danger, about which St. Paul writes, If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. This is said against those men and women who, in going on pilgrimage, break their neck and become wretched, because sometimes they set off as chaste virgins, but they return as prostitutes. It is reported of women going to Rome at the time of the indulgence and sleeping with other pilgrims in the streets, that many were corrupted and violated. This is a foreign woman, told Master Vincent. And beyond the physical danger, there are many dangers of the soul for religious and clergy going to Jerusalem, who cannot say their divine office nor mass. So make that pilgrimage spiritually. Today and every day you can go to Nazareth, to the room where the Son of God became incarnate. And so, of the other places. Third contemplative work, desiring union. The third work of the contemplative life of the Blessed Magdalene is that which the theme says, Mary hath chosen the best part. Behold here in today's story, 
It is said that when after 12 years passed, and according to the other 24, the virgin once was praying, saying, O son, for how many years have I been among the Jews? And the apostles are dispersed throughout the world. And so now may you receive me with you? She was weeping. Christ here gives an example in his mother of desiring paradise, because he wished that paradise be ardently desired. Then suddenly the angel Gabriel appeared to her, saluting her and carrying a branch of palms. So great was the brightness of the angel that the virgin at first did not recognize him, and she even asked his name. The branch signifies victory, which the virgin had achieved over the world through humility, over the devil through poverty, over the flesh through the most pure virginity. virginity. It is reported how she asked for two things. First, that the apostles would be present at her burial. Second, that no devil would be present to her death. Do not believe that she feared them, but she did this out of a sense of her honor, because they have done so much evil. Just like a king who doesn't tolerate a criminal to walk before him, not that he fears him, but because he abhors him. But the Virgin Mary got her wish. That all the apostles by divine power were gathered there. It is said how the people were in wonder when the apostles passed before the view through the clouds. And they found themselves all at the virgin's door, saying to each other, Why has the Lord gathered us? Note this, Bene Legenda. And John, who came first, told them the reason. And it was because of the death of the Virgin Mary. And Paul and Dennis were there, as Dennis and the Heroethus report. It is said how in procession, two by two, they presented their reverence to the Virgin. First Peter and Andrew, etc., and then Virgin Mary, and then the Virgin Mary received them with great joy, indicating to each the service which they had performed for Christ, her son, and the punishment which they had suffered, especially to blessed Paul. She said, Oh, Paul, in such a place you had been captured for my son. Ave Maria School of Law is the Roman Catholic law school in the U.S., consistently ranked in the Princeton Review as one of the best and most conservative law schools, as well as pre-law's most devout law school. Ave Maria School of Law provides a traditional legal education while placing an emphasis on how the law intersects with the Catholic intellectual tradition and natural law philosophy. Ave Maria School of Law, unabashedly Catholic, consistently excellent. For more information, AveMariaLaw.edu. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say, What's wrong for you may be right for someone else. And besides, what's right and wrong changes like everything else. You can't fight these things. You have to just go with the flow. G.K. Chesterton says, Right is right, even if nobody does it. And wrong is wrong, even if everybody is wrong about it. Right and wrong are not based on fashion and personal preferences, and not on the calendar. They're based on the laws of God, on eternal truth that does not change. And as for going with the flow, G.K. Chesterton says, A dead thing goes with the stream. Only a living thing can go against it. Want more than a minute? Visit us at Chesterton.org. Dennis and the Heroethus Report. It is said how in procession, two by two, they presented their reference to the Virgin. First Peter and Andrew, etc. 
and then Virgin Mary, and then the Virgin Mary received them with great joy, indicating to each the service which they had performed for Christ her son, and the punishment which they had suffered, especially to blessed Paul. She said, O Paul, in such a place you had been captured for my son. And as the virgin spoke, Christ appeared, saluting his mother, saying, Hail, blessed one, you who have conceived life and discovered glory, to whom the virgin said, My heart is ready, O God, my heart is ready. In the head of the book, namely of predestination, it is written of me that I should do thy will, O my God. It is reported how she was greeted by the holy angels and blessed who had come with Christ, as some say. And the question is whether the joy is greater than other joys. For the Annunciation was a great joy in which she had become the mother of God, and the Nativity, and the Epiphany, and the Resurrection, etc. The answer is given through a story. It is like the beautiful girl or young woman who rejoiced much when she became engaged to be married, but rejoiced more when she got married, and even more as married, when she was visited by her husband, and more when her husband sent her precious jewels, and even more when her spouse was given an important office in the house of the king. And above all, she rejoiced most on the day of their coming together. About which the Virgin Mary rejoiced greatly. For the engagement she was drawn along on the day of the Annunciation, the conception of the Son of God, on the day of the Nativity, she was shown publicly. A spouse on the day of the Epiphany in the presence of the three kings, her spouse, Jesus, visited the spouse, his mother, Mary, on the day of the resurrection. He accepted the office in the Curia of the imperial heaven, imperial heaven that day on the, of the ascension. He sent most precious jewels on the day of Pentecost, but today is the day of the wedding, when without pain and punishment she handed over her soul into his hands, and the ministers, the angels singing psalms, walked before, and so she was led to the house of the spouse, to the glory of paradise. Not only in her soul, but Christ raised her up in body and soul. Thus, she lives and reigns in eternity. Therefore, Mary chose the best part for herself. It is said here morally how each ought to desire this glory. We are not like the beasts which look downwards, but God made us upright that we might desire paradise. So David said, as the deer longs after the fountain of water. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Praise be to Jesus Christ. That was an amazing sermon by St. Vincent Ferrer. Luckily, it has nothing to do with me. I'm just reading it, and I read it very imperfectly. But the sermon of St. Vincent Ferrer was quite amazing. I, if I do say so myself, he is such an amazing preacher, and I hope you got a lot out of it. I know I did. But that's enough Dominican stuff for today. So up next is Father Elias Mary with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. We won't be able to get through the whole interview, so you're going to have to check out where the rest of the interview is, and I'll tell you that at the end of the interview, so you have to tune in for the rest of the interview to find out where you can hear the whole interview unvarnished. But until then, check out this interview with Father Elias Mary on the Immaculate Conception on this Feast of the Assumption. Praise be to Jesus Christ. Joining me right now is Father Elias Mary with the American Delegation for the Franciscans of the Immaculate. Good morning to you, Father. Good morning to you, too. 
today we we wanted to uh, we're talking about the celebration of the friend of the Immaculate Conception, which is happening this week, and you know it's a special celebration, especially and America being the patroness of America, and uh, and me being in Houston, she's also the patroness of our diocese. So praise be to God for that, uh, Father. Your your community is the Franciscans of the Immaculate, so I could imagine that the Immaculate Conception is very dear to your heart. Yes, it is. Uh, we follow, of course, the spirituality of St. Maximilian Mary Colby, who, as a conventional Franciscan and studying his own Franciscan roots, came up with the charism that uh, this notion of being consecrated to the Immaculata it wasn't something that he got from uh, St. Louis de Montfort. He never read even St. Louis de Montfort. Didn't even know about St. Louis de Montfort's true devotion till after he'd already established his Valicia Immaculata in really? 1917. So he was just meditating on his Franciscan vocation, and he understood the importance of being consecrated to Our Lady, but particularly under her Immaculate Conception, because it's the Armaca conception where Our Lady's mission is just, is unfolded. And, of course, that mission is already told in Genesis 3.15, when God brought all the, the, you might say, participants in the original sin together, Adam and Eve and the serpent, and he said to the serpent, On your belly shall you crawl, and dirt shall you eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman between her seed and yours. You shall strike at her heel, and she shall crush your head. So St. Maximilian Colby said that that was Our Lady's vocation, was to crush the head of the serpent. And he wanted to be involved in that mission. He said that if, and that's another thing that he witnessed in 1917, and it inspired him to want to consecrate himself to Our Lady, was he witnessed this demonstration, you might say, or a display of anti-Catholicism by Freemasons in the in Vatican Square. <coughs> Excuse me. He witnessed in Vatican Square a procession of the Freemasons as 1917 was the anniversary of the founding of the first Masonic Lodge in London, England, and they were celebrating their 200th anniversary and there are pictures of their procession, and it was a long one. It went all the way down Via Conciliazione, and there are about four abreast, and you couldn't see the end of the line. And they had a, a, a you might say, a stuffed effigy of the Pope oh, wow. being s stood upon or stomped on by the devil. And it said that the devil will reign in the Vatican, the Pope will be the slave of the devil. And... Uh, which Pope Saint was Maximilian this? Colby said, he said, well, if, if someone can be the possession of the devil and doing evil like the Freemasons, then surely someone can be the possession of Our Lady and help her and bring about the reign of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. So that's what inspired him to come up with his Militia Immaculate, the, um, the, the Knights of the Immaculata, his militant uh, branch of... Um, lay people and religious consecrated to Our Lady. So that's where he gets the devotion to the Immaculate Conception. It was always part of the Franciscan charism, he said, St. Maximin Colby, 
to promote the cause of Mary Immaculate from the time of St. Francis until it was finally proclaimed in dogma in 1854. Many don't know that the Franciscans, of course, were champions of the Immaculate Conception. Even in Spain during the 15th century, they were taking blood oaths to defend the Immaculate Conception, even to the point of shedding their blood. And, um, and of course, those Franciscans from Spain brought devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Conception over here to our new world. You know, when you talked about patroness of the United States, you know, tomorrow is the or solemnity of the Immaculate Conception. Many people don't realize that the Immaculate Conception has been kind of like this unspoken um, thread, you might say, or kind of like this, I don't want to say ghost, but it's been a spirit that has been, it's the spirit of Our Lady's Immaculate Conception has been really pervading and guiding our, our country. Um, one of the first, of course, um, the feast when Our Lady appeared as Our Lady of Guadalupe in uh, Mexico in 1531. She appeared on December 9th, which was in that time the feast day of the Immaculate Conception in the Spanish Kingdom, not December 8th, but December 9th. So Our Lady appeared to St. Juan Diego on uh, her, her feast day of her Immaculate Conception. And, of course, when she gave that image on his tilma, she gave it to a bishop who was a Franciscan who has been so ingrained in him in his formation, especially if he read anything of St. Anthony of Padua, who said that Our Lady stands on the horned moon, and the horned moon is a symbol of the devil because it is changing, and Our Lady is a full moon because it's perfect and without spot, that he would see that image of Our Lady standing on that horned moon and understand it to be the woman clothed with the sun with the moon on her feet to be the Immaculate Conception. So that um, Bishop Juan Zumarraga was able to recognize in his own symbolism that he knew from his Franciscan background the same things and the importance of that image that Juan Diego, being an Indian, could recognize and also understand the gospel. It was amazing how Our Lady spoke the gospel and preached the gospel to two different cultures, and both of them came up with the same same message. Wow. Well, only Our Lady could do that. And then later on, the Immaculate Conception. Many people don't know that one of the first evangelists of the New World was not the Franciscan friars, especially in the present-day state of Texas and uh, part of New Mexico was Venerable Mary Vagrida, who was a poor Clare nun, but not just any poor Clare nun, she was a poor Clare conceptionist nun. That means they had a special devotion as poor Clare nuns to the Immaculate Conception. And uh, she bilocated from her convent in Spain over 700 times, they say. We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere with more for Father Elias. 
Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. I would imagine your pastor preaches from the text which says, We preach Jesus Christ crucified. So then, where's the crucifix in your church? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, history. Under the dread of persecution and death, the crucifix was displayed at Mass, but with great caution due to the threats of the Roman emperors and the pagan haters of Christianity. Traveling up through time, Pope Pius V in 1570 made it mandatory to display a crucifix in every church. Secondly, the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1 says, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block. You see, there was never any embarrassment of his corpse. In fact, two men of great renown, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, boldly handled the dead body of Jesus. And thirdly, my comeback. You see, at times, the early church held mass in the catacombs to honor the shed blood of the brave martyrs. Sad to say, many contemporary churches don't even have a cross in their church, let alone a crucifix. Also, could a crucifix on your neck cause others to think you are Catholic? St. Peter, it must have been horrible when you heard that rooster crow. Each of us will be asked to review the movie of our life and give an account to God. We will sorrowfully relive the bad times and joyfully revisit the good. Thankfully, no matter what you've done, there is hope. Since Jesus came not to condemn the world, but to save it. So if you've been away from church for a while, we invite you to come home and find the peace that only comes from God. Visit CatholicsComeHome.org. Especially in the present-day state of Texas and uh, part of New Mexico, was Venerable Mary Bagrida, who was a poor Clare nun, but not just any poor Clare nun. She was a poor Clare conceptionist nun. That means they had a special devotion as poor Clare nuns to the Immaculate Conception, and uh, she bilocated from her convent in Spain over 700 times. They say to the Indians in that present-day area of part of Texas, I think near El Paso, and part of New Mexico. When she first appeared, they fired arrows at her, and uh, she disappeared and came back again. Eventually, they allowed her to speak to to them, and she evangelized them. And after she had converted them to Catholicism, she said, go now in a procession, with a cross made from two uh, pieces of wood and go and show yourself to the friars and be baptized. And so they did. And when they came in procession, the friars are looking at these Indians coming in procession with a cross at front of them. And they said, where did you hear about the gospel? Who told you about Jesus and salvation? And they said, a woman in blue taught us of the catechism and said that we must present ourselves to be baptized. The interesting thing about it is that the last time she appeared to the Indians um, and the Spaniards weren't sure who this woman in blue was. They thought maybe it was the Blessed Virgin Mary herself. But the last time Mary Vagrida appeared to the Indians, a, a miraculous flower appeared in the valley, in the meadow, the same color as her mantle. And that blue flower is the state flower of Texas, the Texas blue bonnet flower. So Texas, I guess, doesn't realize how much it's been um, blessed by by Our Lady's Immaculate Conception, especially with this special miraculous flower that was left behind. So that's the Immaculate Conception through this sister who evangelized the early inhabitants of our land. And then when Pius IX uh, proclaimed or asked the bishops to come to Rome... 
to just talk about whether or not Our Lady was the Immaculate Conception, the eventually, of course, it, we came down to the Pope. He had to make the decision because the bishops couldn't agree and were kind of in a confusion. So he took the matter into his own hands and he proclaimed the Immaculate Conception. But at the at the ceremony where he was supposed to read the um, the proclamation, he had... He said, there's a very humble little bishop over there. He said, I'd like that bishop to hold the proclamation while I read it. And it was, of course, the future St. John Neumann of Philadelphia who held the proclamation while he proclaimed the Immaculate Conception. And so we're talking about the Immaculate Conception, and it's important because the Miraculous Medal was also a very important means by which Our Lady use that metal to increase devotion to help create a swell, you might say, of devotion to Our Lady's Immaculate Conception because of all the miracles she worked through that metal which she asked Sister, at that time, Sister Catherine Labouret, who had a hard time but eventually convinced her spiritual director to have the metal struck and distributed. And once it was distributed, it worked so many miracles that it became known as the Miraculous Medal, but as you said earlier, it really, the official title is the Medal of the Immaculate Conception, because of course it says on the front of the medal, O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. And it has, of course, Our Lady of Grace, as she is depicted, with rays of light coming from her hands and standing on the on the, on the earth and with her foot on the serpent, Genesis 3.15. And on the back side, we see her cross with, her, with the M kind of hanging on the cross. And that I always understood it to mean that the Immaculate Conception <laughs> is through the foreseen merits of Christ's death on the cross. It kind of hangs on Christ redeemed us by liberative redemption, but he preserved his mother from all eternity, from any stain of sin. So the backside of the medal is also a witness to not only her her, car, her Immaculate Conception, but also that she's co-redemptrix because she stands at the foot of the cross. And because she's the Immaculate Conception, she can be offered with and can offer Christ for our salvation. Christ didn't go to Calvary just to do the Father's will. He also went to Calvary doing his mother's will. And how do we know that? Because at the wedding feast of Cana, she said, Son, they have no wine. And he said, What to me to thee? My hour has not yet come. And she knew very well what he meant by hour, meaning his passion. And Our Lady didn't flinch. Because he said, What to me to thee? To me implies, he's saying, Mother, what are you asking? Because what you're asking of me also is going to imply you. And she didn't turn away. She didn't flinch. She just said, Do whatever he tells you with such great confidence. And of course, he worked his first public miracle, and that began his path and is on the road to Calvary. So that's where she gave her consent. Many times Our Lady gave her, her consent, not just at the beginning when she became the mother, but she also gave her consent to be the Corridemptrix uh, and wanting to unite her sufferings with her son and to give him permission. He wouldn't go to Calvary without her permission either. So... That's the importance of Our Lady's role as the Immaculate Conception. But the medal of the miraculous 
the, the miraculous metal is um, such a teaching tool, as I said, because of all the symbolism, but also because Our Lady promised that those who wear the medal around their neck and have confidence in her intercession will receive great graces. And um, that's important. It's not a lucky charm. You have to put into practice what Our Lady says. Do what she says, like those faithful servants who did whatever Jesus told them. So the thing goes for us. We ought to do what Our Lady says. Wear the medal and have great confidence in her intercession. And uh, she, will, she will grant great graces to those who, who do that. And um, she has done so throughout the ages. Many say that during the time of the plague, and when, especially when we had this COVID thing, many did not suffer from the um, plague as it was breaking out in France. It was one of the miracles that she worked at that time. So, And for me, I experienced a little grace myself as I did come down with COVID this past month, and I was in the hospital for 20 days, I entered in on the 6th of November, and I got out of the hospital on the 26th, which was the vigil of Our Lady's Miraculous Medal. So she oh, wow. got me out of the hospital on time to celebrate her feast day on the 27th of November. So I experienced a little bit of her intercession myself. Praise be to God. That's a uh, father. There is uh, about a million different questions. That I'd like to follow up with, but I will try to resign myself to this. I like your comments on this quote from, I don't know if you're familiar with, Professor Plenio Correa de la Vera, who is the founder of the Brazilian Defense for Tradition, Family, and Property. He said, quote, The dogma of the Immaculate Conception, considered in itself, clashed with the essentially egalitarian spirit of the revolution that since 1789 has despotically reigned in the West. To see a simple creature so elevated over others by an inestimable privilege conceded to her at the first moment of her existence cannot help but pain the children of the revolution that proclaim absolute equality among men as a principle of all order, justice, and good. Could you speak about Our Lady's role in and being the Immaculate Conception, uh, combating the errors of our time. Uh, I notice it all the time where people hate the idea that heaven is a hierarchy and hate the idea that there there will be greater and lesser places in heaven. Yeah, well, definitely. Our Lady has been given a special role because she's the Queen of the Angels, and she is, really, that's the reason why we have any revolution, is because for the Franciscan thesis, and it's based on, the Apocalypse chapter 12, that the Franciscans believed that that the angels were given a test before they were put into the state of grace. And what was the test they were given? It seems that Apocalypse 12 says that God showed them his plan, that he always intended for his son to become incarnate. It's called the absolute primacy of Christ in the Franciscan school. It's based on St. Irenaeus and the fathers of the church. And St. Paul himself writes in his letter to the Ephesians that God chose us in Christ, not in the eternal word, but in Christ before the foundation of the world. That he already had in mind the incarnation before he even started to form the first thing, let there be light. And so God shared with the angels his plan, and he showed them that his son would become incarnate of the Virgin Mary. 
And it is said, and it seems to be the case from looking at Apocalypse 12, that Lucifer and his cohort could accept Jesus as the Son of God, as their Lord, because he'd still be true God. He would be a divine person and not a human person. But what they couldn't accept was that Our Lady, because she would be the mother of the Son of God, she would be elevated by grace, by the Immaculate Conception, to be greater than all the angels and saints put together. And that went against the ego of Lucifer and his cohort, and they said, Non servium, I will not serve. So that they revolted against heaven and against God because he would not serve the woman. And I think that that also shows us why in the garden that Lucifer went after Eve first and not Adam, even though Adam was the head of the human race. I think he went after Eve thinking that she was to be the mother of the Son of God. And when she ate of the fruit, he thought, oh, I messed up God's plan because there's no way God's going to be born of a tainted fountain, a polluted fountain. And um, that's where God revealed to him that no, that's not the woman, that the woman that is going to be coming, she will, you'll have envy between you and her. You'll never have any allegiance. You'll never have any control. You'll never have any friendship with this woman. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Is the very contemporary and popular idea that a faith alone salvation, which occurs by repenting of sins and asking Jesus in one's heart, sufficient to enter and warrant heaven upon death? I say, no, it's not. Many evangelicals will say, just follow the Romans road, which is four verses snatched out of the book of Romans, and when followed, heaven is promised. Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, the Bible. The Gospels, nor the Epistles, nor the Apostolic and early church fathers ever wrote anything like this mechanical approach. Secondly, the marriage experience. After wrongdoing and temporary departure from your family, does a simple one-time, hey honey, I'm really sorry, bring you back into the family? And thirdly, teaching of the Catholic Church, water baptism, loving God and neighbor, which is displayed by consistent acts of charity while maintaining a perseverant hope of heaven is the surest way to God's eternal presence. And my pesky comeback, that Romans road is presumptuous and significantly dumbs down the holy value and price of salvation. And remember, that Romans road has some potholes. Eve Gambo is a real Guadalupe radio listener. To help her explain the impact that Catholic radio has had on her life, we had Rocky come in and help her tell her story. Before I was able to listen to Catholic radio, I would listen to other Christian radio stations. 
just because there was no Catholic radio. Hey, you know, Mickey always tells me, you know, Catholic radio, you know, it's kind of like having an angel on your shoulder. Those other stations were okay, but I always felt like something was missing. Catholic radio is a huge blessing because it shares the full truth. Well, it was like a wake-up call, kind of like getting punched with an uppercut. Only with the truth. Please, if you have not made a pledge of support to keep Guadalupe Radio on the air, do it now. And if you have made a pledge, please fulfill that pledge. I want to make sure that I always have my Catholic radio station. Yeah, make sure you send in your pledge. You know, you can do so by going to grnonline.com or 888-784-3476. Are you on the CDT Insider email list? Hi, Joe McLean here. And every week I send you cool stuff straight to your inbox. Goodies that you're not... Hi, I'm Peter Lombardi, owner of Visiting Angels Senior Home Care. You are listening to KSHJ AM 1430 in Houston. Radio for your soul. be to Jesus Christ. And this is Adrian Fonseca. Thank you for joining us today on this pre-recorded show of Catholic Drive Time, celebrating the Feast of the Assumption. And on the Feast of the Assumption, we're talking about Our Lady. Makes sense, right? But it is an interview with Father Elias Mary with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. And thus, we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. It makes sense. And so Father Elias is going to finish what you were hearing on the other side of the break. And so we'll try to finish out the interview during this hour. If you're not able to finish it or you missed part of it, you can check out the whole interview unvarnished at Catholic Conversations. Just look up Catholic Conversations, Father Elias, Mary, Immaculate Conception. And it should come right up on YouTube. But without further ado, let me let you... Finish the interview with Father Elias Mary with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. So I think that, of course, the spirit of all revolution goes way back to the first one who revolted, which was Satan himself. And even Saul Alinsky even gives a kudo to the devil in his diabolical work on the rules for radicals, where he says that the first one to obtain a kingdom for himself was Lucifer. And so the kingdom, though, which is a kingdom of misery and suffering, anybody or any group who wants to exalt themselves and their ego and their own agenda over God's will and will not serve God, well, they're all going to end up being revolutionaries and radicals, and they're going to always try to undermine God's order, Mm. his plan. God has an order. It's an order that is of justice and peace and charity and always, of course, it's operated according to God's um, Ten Commandments, you might say. And so they're always going to be trying to undermine that and, and place themselves above God. This is what the revolutionaries of today even want to do. The big promoters of the New World Order, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the Klaus Schwabs of the world, they want to promote their own idea as better than what God has done. Even they have the arrogance to say in this transhumanism 2.0 that they're going to improve upon human nature. They're going to do a better job than God did. If that's not the arrogance and the the subtle hiss from hell, it's the devil's way of he hates humanity. 
He's gonna have. He's gonna destroy humanity by by mankind thinking that he's gonna do something to improve upon what God has already made. So it's the ultimate. Um, it's the ultimate lie, which he's always been doing. But the fact is that there are people there in our world who like to listen to the devil and like to think that they are exalt themselves. Our Lady didn't exalt herself. She was very humble. And those who want to promote revolution are always about promoting themselves and their, their diabolical ideas. Amen. Thank you, Father. And uh, I just was thinking of the uh, Our Lady set in battle array whenever we, took, we think about these things. Uh, one mm-hmm. thing you note at the very beginning of the interview, which shocked me at first because I had never heard this before, was uh, that Maximilian Colby hadn't read any of Louis de Mumford or the Dominican tradition on Our Lady before coming to these conclusions himself. I personally, I was in the Dominican novitiate for a while, and I have a deep uh, Dominican spirituality, uh, even though I recognize Maximilian Conception is, you know, Franciscan with through and through, Dun Scotus, hmm. um, Leonard of Port Maurice, of course, Max Colby. Uh, but one uh, from uh, say, uh, the uh, from Father Reginald Gary Goulagrange, I wanted to uh, read this to you and see what you uh, see. Get your comments on it. He says, at a time when all truth were being deprecated, when many refused to believe either in original sin or in the necessity of baptismal regeneration, it was fitting that the Church should solemnly define this dogma and that Mary should remind us of all these truths by telling us that Lords. I am the Immaculate Conception, this privilege far from detracting from the dogma of the universal redemption of souls by Jesus Christ, it, disclose, it discloses to us in the person of Mary, sovereign redemption in its most perfect form conceivable. Could you speak on that, especially in regards to what does it mean, I am the Immaculate Conception, versus I was immaculately conceived? Well, I think it points to the fact that just as when God said to Moses, I am who am, it's his nature to be. God's, God's the only one that is necessary being. I am who am. So Our Lady, when she said, I am the Immaculate Conception, she isn't stating that it's just a quality. It's almost like a state of being. That Everything about being immaculate and pure is who defines the Blessed Virgin Mary. And that that is her essence. That, of course, that we also know that our existence comes at the moment of our conception. So it's, it's also very important, I think, that she identifies her personhood with her conception. I am the immaculate conception. You might say we are tainted conceptions, but she is the immaculate conception, the one that never was and never would be under the dominion or influence of the evil one. So that um, Saint or Blessed John Duns Scotus, I think, gave a perfect, his, his argument was, and I think that's alluded to by Garagula Grange, when Saint or Blessed John Duns Scotus said, if our Lord is God, that means being God that he does everything perfectly or he isn't God. And so if he's the perfect redeemer, that means there has to be at least one member of the human race who is perfectly redeemed, or he's not a perfect redeemer. And he says, what is more perfect? To get sick and be given the cure, or to be preserved by some way, you might say, being inoculated spiritually, supernaturally, that you never get sick in the first place. And he said, of course, the first is more perfect, and that's called preservative redemption. And the second one that we have all received is liberative redemption. We got sick, 
and we were given the cure through baptism and reception of the sacraments. And when we die, we will be immaculate to whatever degree that we arrive at um, the purification and and um, we'll all be immaculate conceptions, you might say, at the end of our lives because we will be pure and, and without sin when we get to heaven. But she's immaculate, can be conceived, and the immaculate conception from the first moment of her existence, and already at the first moment of her existence, her holiness surpasses all the saints and angels in heaven that will ever be. And that's at the moment of her conception, because at the moment of her conception, she still had, well, we believe in the Franciscan order, 72 years more of life on earth in which she could merit. So her holiness is so far out there above us that we can't see it. St. Maximilian Colby says, just as God is, because being a divine person is so high above Our Lady, so Our Lady by her immaculate conception is so far above us. But that being exalted does not make her unapproachable, doesn't make her high and snooty, doesn't make Our Lady some kind of prima donna. She makes her the Madonna, the one that is the one that really comes down to us and helps us because the Immaculate Conception didn't make her puffed up and prideful like Satan and all the revolutionaries that have followed after him, but rather has made her so humble. The Lord has done, the Lord has done great things for me. And holy is his name. That's what the effect of the Immaculate Conception did to Our Lady's heart and soul. Made her the most perfect disciple and follower of Christ. And also his, his cooperator, his mediatrix, and his co-redemptrix in the work of salvation. So I think it's so important that... Um, that we acknowledge that that final grace, you might say, that Our Lady's waiting for, well, that Jesus wants to give to his mother already, is that she is his choridemtrix, mediatrix, and advocate. I think that has to be part of her triumph, if we talk about the triumph of her immaculate heart, and, of course, the great graces that she wants to give to us, is that I think that we acknowledge her as that in the church and in the world. Wow, Father, that's that's amazing. Uh, there's, I, I keep saying this, there's so many different angles to take this. I guess you could spend the rest of your life, and I guess people do spend the rest of their lives talking about this. Um, well, you can never say enough about Our Lady. Absolutely not. As you know. Amen. And, uh, you know, okay, I'm trying to figure out which, which thread to pick up. One thing is uh, Venerable Mary of Agreda, your whole thing on Venerable Mary of Agreda earlier, really struck me. I, have a, I love Venerable Mary of Agreda. Being in Texas, I had known the story of her there. I had not known that she was a Franciscan. I did not know that she was a, of an immaculate uh, a province or of a community named after the immaculate. And that, that struck me. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, they question, wore a white habit. They wore a white habit instead of a brown one with a blue mantle. Yeah, and that's were, why I didn't recognize it. They were founded it. by a Portuguese nun named Beatrice da Silva. So um, it was a special group. They still exist, but they had a special devotion within the Franciscans, even to the Immaculate Conception. Yeah, I had no idea. That's beautiful. Um, my question is, I was told, so I went to, I got my bachelor's in theology, and in my one of my classes, um, one of my professors, I won't say his name, he said the we are talking about Our Lady and their relationship with the with the Holy Trinity, and in it uh, during the discussion he had said that the um, 
that Our Lady was not to be considered the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And I was uh, very offended by that, and I went to go talk to him afterwards, and we discussed this, and he goes, and he tells me, um, he says, uh, Adrian, the, it's not obliged by the church that we refer to Our Lady as the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And I was like, Father, but the saints say that she is the spouse of the Holy Ghost. And he said, what it is, uh, and he, he was making an appeal to Scripture saying that the Holy Ghost is referred to in feminine form in the Old Testament, and therefore it would be wrong to consider her the uh, spouse of the Holy Ghost. Uh, Father, how would you respond to this? Well, I think you have to realize there's more than a sacred scripture. There's an oral tradition. And the fact the first one to ever refer to Our Lady as spouse of the Holy Spirit <coughs> was our own Holy Father, St. Francis. The first one who ever referred to her as spouse of the Holy Spirit was St. Francis of Assisi before, like your professor probably would have said, people referred to her as the sanctuary of the Holy Spirit, the temple of the Holy Spirit, something of the Holy Spirit. I can't remember. There was different titles. But St. Francis was meditating on the relationship that Our Lady has with each one of the three persons. So he's using, I might say, logic at the use of, uh, at the service of faith. So he said she's the eternal daughter, the predestined eternal daughter of the eternal of the eternal father. She's the predestined daughter of the eternal father, the mother of the eternal son, and she's the spouse of the Holy Spirit. And so he reflected on that and and St. Francis was no slouch when it came to theology, even though he didn't print and write treatises, he lived it out in his life. And um uh, St. Maximilian Colby came along later and said, there's a connection between spouse of the Holy Spirit and Immaculate Conception. And uh, in his reflection, he got it from, of course, Lourdes, where when our lady, our lady was asked by Bernadette, what is your name, O oh beautiful lady? She said, I am the Immaculate Conception. And St. Maximilian Colby said, <laughs> like you pondered, our Lady didn't say, I'm immaculate conceived. She said, I am the immaculate conception. He said, what is a conception? He said, a conception is the fruit of love between two persons. And he said, within the Trinity, can we say that there is a conception between the love of the Father for the Son and the Son's love for the Father? Can we say that there could be a conception, that fruit of their love is also an eternal person, the third person of the Trinity, the, the Holy Spirit, who is the uncreated, immaculate conception? And he said, yes, we can say that. But he said, outside of the Trinity, is there some place in the created order where the love for the Father, for his Son, and the Son's love for his Father, do they meet somewhere in the created order? Does their love for their each other, the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father, do they meet somewhere in the created order? And they said, yes, in the created Immaculate Conception, the Blessed Virgin Mary. So much, St. Maximilian Colby says, is Our Lady, the spouse of the Holy Spirit, that for all intents and purposes, they act as one. Since spousal union means the two shall become one. Now, Our Lady does not become a divine person. She remains a human person. But by the grace of the Immaculate Conception, there never was a moment in which Our Lady's will was not entirely united to and in conformity with the will of God. 
that is a that in of itself is a marvel. Saint John of the Cross says that the only spirit that moved Our Lady was the Holy Spirit. She was not moved by passion. She was not moved by her own desire. <clears throat> moved only by the Holy Spirit. Wow. So I can't imagine why someone would have a problem with Our Lady being the spouse of the Holy Spirit, just reflecting on the fact that each and every one of us has a relationship with the Trinity, and she, by par excellence, has a relationship that is far more exalted than anyone else, is that the fact that she is the predestined daughter, and since the, the absolute primacy was that God intended the incarnation from all eternity, that means he already had in mind the woman he would take that human nature from for his son. She is the mother of the eternal son. She is not an incubator. She was truly the mother who conceived the Son of God, and she is truly is the spouse of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves her because she is the most, she's the one who's, who opened her heart completely to him and loved him back with all the love that the created person could give in the Immaculate Conception. And so she is his spouse, and he does not act without her consent, St. Maximilian Colby says. God will not give any grace. The Holy Spirit will not go and give anyone any supernatural life without the consent and the cooperation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. That's, that's a mystery, but that's what it means to be the spouse of the Holy Spirit. Wow, Father. Uh, this is just so amazing. Uh, I'm trying to limit myself to only two more questions, and then I'll let you, let you off. Uh, one thing I wanted to ask is in regards to the Marian maximalism versus Mary minimalism. I know a number of people who are apologists, and they feel the need to become Mary minimalist in order to try to have, a, I, I, would, I would argue, have a misguided sense mm -hmm. of evangelization and ecumenism. They try to uh, minimize Our Lady's role to just the bare minimum dogmas of the faith and try not to go beyond that. Could you explain and give a defense for Marian maximalism? Well, I can't imagine anybody who thinks they're a minimalist as somehow giving praise and glory to Christ. Because Christ did not give his mother the minimal. Christ does not love his mother. Oh, I, I think I love her too much. Christ loves his mother as, as the Son of God loves his mother. And I think that the day you have more devotion than Jesus to Mary, then you'll have too much devotion. So I can't imagine anybody who thinks they're a minimalist is somehow thinking that they're imitating or pleasing Christ, because the first maximalist, when it comes to devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, is Jesus Christ. He loves his mother to the max. And that's why he wants the fifth Marian dogma, because she isn't getting all the, the glory that she deserves. Jesus wants her to have that. Matter of fact, she appeared at Fatima, and twice she told the children, once in June, she said, God wishes to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. And then again, she said again in July, the Holy Trinity wishes to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. Our Lady wasn't asking this on her own. She said that God, the Holy Trinity, wanted to establish devotion, which Popes later on said meant consecration to her Immaculate Heart, 
because that's the highest devotion you can have is to consecrate yourself to someone. And I can't imagine someone who thinks it's going to minimize Our Lady is somehow thinking that they're pleasing or following the example of Christ. Christ didn't mention his mother very often, but he did mention her at very important places. The wedding feast of Cana, where he said, Woman, what to me to thee? And she said, Do whatever he tells you. And he, she, he said, um, uh, He says, Do whatever he tells you. So everybody, a lot of the Protestants and even these minimalist Catholics, they think all you have to do is listen to Jesus, but they forget the end of the gospel. Where at the foot of the cross, Jesus looks down and he says, Woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. Yes. She says, do whatever he tells you. And he says, Woman, behold your son. Or, Son, behold your mother. And it seems like they forget that, that the last command from Christ was placing us in her care, giving us to Our Lady, and that we should be maximalists, like John at the foot of the cross. Take her into our home means to make her the center of your spiritual life. Doesn't mean, say, leave her out outside on the street corner, but take her into your home. And um, I can't see where someone can defend Marian minimalism or whatever and somehow think that they're imitating Christ. Christ loves his mother to the maximum. Amen, Father. And he still wants her to, to, he says, all generations shall call me blessed. God's not satisfied that we just call her blessed for our time, but till the end of time, he wants her to be called blessed. Amen. So I just... I cannot, I cannot, I cannot stand this minimalistic attitude. Somehow Our Lady is going to get in the way of devotion to Jesus. She is not a, she's not an obstacle. She's the magnifier. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And uh, if we want to bring Jesus into the picture even more, we got to bring his mother into the conversation, or we're never going to get to where we need to get to. Yeah, thank you very much, Father. That's it's beautiful. I'm just thinking of St. Louis de Mumford, whenever he's, people asked him about, you know, about having too much devotion to Our Lady, and he said, uh, do not be afraid to have too much devotion to Our Lady, because you can't love her more than Jesus loved her. And, uh, yeah. yeah, beautiful, absolutely beautiful. But, um, and, and the other thing is that Pope John Paul II, in speaking to a group of Carmelite nuns, which I think you, you could take and expand it to anybody who calls themselves Catholic, at least, he said it was their vocation to continue the love that Jesus has for his mother. That that's our job, too, as Christians, is to imitate Christ. We're to imitate him in what he loved. He loved souls. He loved, to, he loved people to, you know, he wanted people to save their souls, but he also loved his mother more than anybody else in the whole world. So we got to have that kind of love that Jesus has for her, and it wasn't minimalistic at all. No. Matter of fact, it probably the biggest suffering of our Lord was the fact that he was away from his mother so many times when he was out preaching. I'm sure he wished that he could have had his mother at his side more often than not. Yeah, absolutely, Father. I was thinking of what you are saying, that um, that the Venerable, not Venerable, Saint, uh, King St. Ferdinand, whenever he was going off to battle, he turned to his mother and said, uh, my Lord uh, stretched out his arms in the cold uh, wood of the cross instead of staying in the embrace, warm embrace of his mother's arms, and so his knight can only do likewise. And it just struck me as something so, so beautiful that, yes, it would, have been such, it would have been such a pain to leave his mother's arms and then not just leave his mother's arms, but then 
lay himself out on the cross. It's just mm-hmm. it's just unfathomable to to think mm-hmm. about. Um, and the greatest and the greatest suffering was the fact that our Lord knew he was going to inflict that terrible pain on his mother, that she was required to witness this. You know, he didn't say, Mom, you can go home and stay at home when this happens. He wanted her to come and be the witness because she was being offered an offering. She had to be there because she was offering Christ as a sacrifice, as the Corredemptrix, but also all the pains and all her woes, all her sufferings were being reunited with, and Christ was accepting that as part of the sacrifice of Calvary. Mm. That co-redemptive element that is so important. And just to get back briefly, St. Maximilian Colby, as I said, never read St. Louis de Montfort's treatise till after he had already established the Militia Maculata. And he said, this too is, you know, it's uh, if it's Catholic, it means it's there within the, 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 you might say, the fibers of the church, this whole notion of consecration to Our Lady, because it came to us from the foot of the cross, from Christ mm-hmm. himself, its apostolic origins. At the foot of the cross where you have co-redemption, you also have consecration. So those who are consecrated to Our Lady also have to be united with and, and believers and promoters of co-redemption because they both were born at the foot of the cross. Amen, Father. I see, okay, I, I wanted to ask just one more question, but now I have to ask you about the Fifth Marian Dogma. Could you tell me, what is the Fifth Marian Dogma? What is this all about? I, have, I think I've heard of this only one other time, so I, this is something I don't know much about. Well, the Fifth Marian Dogma is that Our Lady is it's called the universal co-redemption and mediation of all graces. That Others will say that she's co-redemptrix, mediatrix of all grace, and advocate of all people. <laughs> it was asked at some private revelations like uh, Our Lady of All Nations in the 1940s, and it was asked again and promoted at the messages of Our Lady of Akita in Japan in the 1970s. But it is has its origins in apostolic tradition, in papal magisterium, and it's scriptural. And what co-redemptrix means, and co-redemption means, is Co in front of redemptrix means com in Latin, which means with. Feminine co-redemptrix, as as opposed to redemptor, we have redemptrix. The feminine counterpart who was with the Redeemer. She who was with the Redeemer. And that means that, that Our Lady participated in a unique way in the redemption of everyone. Not just in subjective redemption, but in the objective redemption of every soul who would ever live, Our Lady participated in that, like Christ, but subordinate to Christ, that it was part of that offering that Christ asked of his mother and required of his mother, that she gave her consent, that she said, yes, I will, that you should suffer at Calvary. She gave her consent when she said, "Being the, become the mother of the Redeemer. And then later on, she gave that consent to further, as time went on, he enlightened her more and more about his mission. As St. Peter Julian Amart said, those 30 years that she was, and she and our Lord were in that house together in the hidden life, they weren't playing cards all night. They were, he was instructing his mother about his role and his work of redemption so that she was already enlightened greatly about what her son was about and what he was to do. 
so that when it came time to the wedding feast of Cana, when she said, son, they have no wine, he, he said to her, my hour, what to me to thee, my hour has not yet come. It's not time for my passion. And she said, oh, without saying anything else, do whatever he tells you. She said, oh, yes, it has. I'm now asking you to work your first public miracle, which means we're going to begin the way of the cross, the way to Calvary. So she had to give her consent. And he waited for her to give her consent before he began his public ministry. But she also had to give her consent at the foot of the cross and to all that he endured. So she gave her consent many times. But also she contributed to the sacrifice of Calvary, which no one else can say, that is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. There would be no offering. There would, Christ would, be no, would not be a priest if he had not taken on flesh in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The first seminary was the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary because that's where Christ became a priest. Once he had a body to be sacrificed, now he is a priest. So she contributed in a unique way, unlike anybody else. We had a, I had a novice master who used to go to Boston College for a catechetical class. And one of the classes he had to attend was from a rather one of these feminist nuns who was very popular in the 70s. I think it was Rosemary Ruther or something like that. She was one of the professors he had to listen to. I'm so sorry. We are out of time. And that is going to be it for Catholic Drive Time today. We're not going to be able to get through the rest of the interview with Father Elias Mary with the Franciscans of the Immaculate. If you want to hear the rest of that interview, then you have to go check out Catholic Conversations and look up Father Elias Mary Catholic Conversations on YouTube. But that's going to be it for Catholic Drive Time today. Tune in tomorrow for our regularly scheduled programming. We're going to have our game show back in force, and we're going to have all things like just like normal, and Bishop Strickland is going to be on with us. You're not going to want to miss it. So I'll see you here tomorrow morning at 6 to 7 Central, 7 to 8 Eastern, right here on Catholic Drive Time. Or go to our website, grnonline.com forward slash cdt that's grnonline.com forward slash cdt god love you god bless you and we'll see you tomorrow may mary immaculate keep you under her mantle thank you for joining us on your catholic drive time where it is our pleasure to keep you informed and inspired join us monday through friday at the same time right here on your favorite catholic radio station the Guadalupe Radio Network now brings you the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass from the chapel at Our Lady of Corpus Christi in Corpus Christi, Texas. Welcome to the Holy Mass at Our Lady of Corpus Christi Chapel. Today we celebrate the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. The intention for today's Mass is for all of our online viewers and for those joining us through Guadalupe Radio. O Sanctissima, O Pissima, Ducis Virgo Maria, 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, the Lord be with you. My brothers and sisters, let us acknowledge our sins and so prepare ourselves to celebrate the sacred mysteries. I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters, that I have greatly sinned in my thoughts and in my words, in what I have done and what I have failed to do, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore, I ask Blessed Mary, Ever-Virgin, all the angels and saints, and you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Glory in excelsis Deo, et in terra pax omnibus, bonae voluntatis, laudamus te, benedicimus te, adoramus te, glorificamus te, gratias agimus tibi, proptemaniam gloriam tuam, Domine Deus Rex Celestis, Deus Pater Omnipotens, Domine Fili Unigenite, Iesu Christe, Domine Deus Agnus Dei, Fili Patris, Quitolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Quitolis peccata mundi, suscipe deprecationem nostram. Quisedes ad exteram patris. Miserere nobis, quoniam tu solus sanctus, tu solus dominus, tu solus altissimus, Iesu Christe, cum sancto spiritu, in gloria Dei Patris. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty ever-living God, who assumed the Immaculate Virgin Mary, the mother of your Son, 
body and soul into heavenly glory. Grant, we pray, that always attentive to the things that are above, we may merit to be sharers of her glory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. A reading from the book of Revelation. <clears throat> God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant could be seen in the temple. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on its heads were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place prepared by God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power come and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his anointed one. The word of the Lord. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. The queen takes her place at your right hand, in gold of Ophir. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. Hear, O daughter, and see, turn your ear, forget your people and your father's house. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your Lord. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. They are born in with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. A reading from the first letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. The word of the Lord. Alleluia, 
Mary is taken up to heaven, a chorus of angels exalts. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to a town of Judah, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the infant leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed are you who believed that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is this blessed and beautiful solemnity, the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. It really is her homecoming. It is her time to go, to return, in a way, to where she came. In a sense that God had called her to this tremendous vocation, to bear, to be the mother of, of God, to be the mother of the Father's divine Son. And then with this greatest desire that she has for heaven, um, her transition from this world to the next is very, very simple. Her, the fulfillment of all her desire now is complete. This reminds us that one, it's not just, we celebrate this solemnity of the Assumption. Normally it's a, day of a holy day of obligation but because it falls on a Monday, it isn't. If it falls on a Saturday or a Monday, then it's, then it's uh, not a holy day of obligation. That's too bad in some ways. But on the other hand, it reminds us that this, how, why this, this solemnity is so important and so beautiful for us. Because where she has gone, that is where we are to follow. This, her homecoming should be ours, should be very similar for us. Was, we, ask, we should ask ourselves, how great is the desire that we have for heaven? How, how intense is that desire? As our spiritual life grows, that, that it should become more and more intense, such that then we easily leave behind the things of the world, because we, we shouldn't be attached here. That's where we happen, we get attached to the things here. But not for Mary. She wanted to be where her divine son was. Those words that Jesus said from the, uh, uh, from the Last Supper come to mind. It says, where I am, there my servant will be. That is the Jesus' great desire, is that where he is, so his disciples will be. And that is where his mother is. 
with him at his side. The fulfillment of all her desires. She wanted to be with the Lord. What a glorious homecoming that must have been. To come home to see the Father now. To see, see the Father. To be with her son. And then completely and again really filled with the Holy Spirit. Mary says in the Gospel, My soul proclaims, magnifies the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. May it be so for us. May our desire for heaven grow. Uh, may it consume us so that our transition from this world to the next will simply be us falling asleep and finding ourselves where we always have been in the arms of our Heavenly Father and with Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, gathered as one to celebrate the good things we have received from our God, let us ask him to prompt in us prayers that are worthy of his hearing. We pray for our Holy Father, Pope Francis, for Michael, our bishop, and all the clergy, with the people entrusted to their charge. Let us pray to the Lord. For those who hold public office and for those who assist them in promoting the common good, we pray to the Lord. For those who travel by sea, land, or Captives and all held in prison, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of us gathered in this sacred place by faith and devotion and by love and reverence for God, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, hear our petitions and grant our prayers through Christ our Lord through the powerful intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, as we say. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and in our heart.
Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the bread we offer you. Fruit of the earth, the work of human hands, it will become for us the bread of life. Blessed are you, Lord God of all creation, for through your goodness we have received the wine we offer you. Fruit of the vine, a work of human hands, will become our spiritual drink. Blessed, Blessed be God. God. Pray, dearly beloved, that my sacrifice and yours may be acceptable to God, the Almighty Father. May the Lord accept the sacrifice of your hands for the greatest and glory of his name, for our good and for all his holy church. May this oblation, our tribute of homage, rise up to you, O Lord, and through the intercession of the most blessed Virgin Mary, whom you assumed into heaven, may our hearts aflame with the fire of love constantly long for you through Christ our Lord. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and just. It is truly right and just our duty and our salvation. Always and everywhere to give you thanks. Lord, Holy Father, Almighty and Eternal God, through Christ our Lord. For today the Virgin Mother of God was assumed into heaven as the beginning and image of your church is coming to perfection and a sign and sure hope and comfort for your pilgrim people. Rightly you would not allow her to see the corruption of the tomb since from her own body she marvelously brought forth in your incarnate Son, the author of all life. And so in company with the choirs of angels, we praise you, and with joy we proclaim, Sanctus, Sanctus, Sanctus Dominus Deus Sabaoth, Plenis et terra, gloria tua, hosanna in excelsis, benedictus, qui venit in nomine domini, hosanna in excelsis. You are indeed holy, O Lord, the fount of all holiness. Make holy, therefore, these gifts, we pray, by sending down your Spirit upon them like the dewfall, so that they may become for us the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. At the time he was betrayed and entered willingly into his passion, he took bread and, giving thanks, broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and eat of it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. In a similar way, when supper was ended, he took the chalice, and once more giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, all of you, and drink from it, 
For this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and eternal covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this in memory of me. The mystery of faith, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. Therefore, as we celebrate the memorial of his death and resurrection, we offer you, Lord, the bread of life and the chalice of salvation, giving thanks that you have held us worthy to be in your presence and minister to you. Humbly we pray that partaking of the body and blood of Christ, we may be gathered into one by the Holy Spirit. Remember, Lord, your church spread throughout the world and bring her to the fullness of charity, together with Francis, our Pope, and Michael, our Bishop, and all the clergy. Remember also our brothers and sisters who have fallen asleep in the hope of the resurrection and all who have died in your mercy. Welcome them into the light of your face. Have mercy on us all, we pray, that with the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, with Blessed Joseph, her spouse, with the blessed apostles and all the saints who have pleased you throughout the ages, we may merit to be co-heirs to eternal life, may praise and glorify you through your Son, Jesus Christ. Through him and with him and in him, O God, Almighty Father, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, all glory and honor is yours forever and ever. Amen. At the Savior's command, and formed by divine teaching, we dare to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin and safe from all distress as we await the blessed hope and the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Lord Jesus Christ, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. Look not on our sins, but on the faith of your church graciously grant her peace and unity in accordance with your will, who live and reign forever and ever. Amen. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, miserere nobis. Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, Miserere nobis, Agnus Dei, qui tolis peccata mundi, dona nobis pacem. Behold the Lamb of God, behold him who takes away the sins of the world. Blessed are those called to the supper of the Lamb. Lord, I am not you should enter under my roof, but only say the word, and my soul shall be.
All generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me. An act of spiritual communion. My Jesus, I believe that you are present in the most holy sacrament. I love you above all things, and I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot at this moment receive you sacramentally, come at least spiritually into my heart. I embrace you as if you were already there, and unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen. Let us pray. Having received the sacrament of salvation, we ask you to grant, O Lord, that through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, whom you assumed into heaven, we may be brought to the glory of the resurrection through Christ our Lord. Amen. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. The Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go forth, the Mass is ended. Thanks be to God. Salve Regina, Mater Misericordiae, Vita Dulcedo, Et Spes Nostra Salve, A Te Clamamus, Exules Filii Hebe, A Te Suspiramus, Gementes et Flentes, in hoc lacrimarum vale. Eha ergo, advocata nostra, ilos tuo. The prayer to St. Michael. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world seeking the ruins of souls. Amen. 
prayer of deliverance. Almighty God and Father, we beg thee through the intercession and help of the archangels, St. Michael, Raphael, and Gabriel, for the deliverance of our brothers and sisters who are enslaved by the evil one from anxiety, sadness, and obsessions. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From hatred, fornication, and envy. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From thoughts of jealousy, rage, and death. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every thought of suicide and abortion. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every form of sinful sexuality. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every division in our family and every harmful friendship. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. From every sort of spell, malefice, witchcraft, and every form of the occult. We implore thee, deliver us, O Lord. Thou who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, grant that through the intercession of the Virgin Mary we may be liberated from every demonic influence and enjoy thy peace always. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen. Spreading the splendor of truth, this is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul. I'm Alejandra with Special Youth Services at the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, and you're listening to AM 1430 KSHJ Houston, part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. 